The night was eerily silent. You sit on the veranda, drinking your lemonade. The heat was a dead dry heat. You're amazed how silent it is, quiet, how all remained asleep. A bloody knife resides in your hand. Flashbacks hit you. Waiting for the house to go dark, quietly you enter. Into the kitchen you take a knife. You prowl around the house. A sound of light switch clicks, stops you. Diona had woken up. Stepping back, you wait in the shadows. They walk past, dazed and confused. You emerge behind them, knife up high. After you go into the kitchen and take a drink, now you sit outside. It's all so quiet. This was Eric Edgar Cook, and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. Eric Edgar Cook was born 25th of February 1931 in Perth, Australia. His family situation was unhappy and violent. His parents only married because his mother had become pregnant. His father was an alcoholic and was very abusive, beating Eric often, especially if he tried to protect his mother. Eric's mother Christine worked at the Como Hotel and would sleep there a lot to avoid coming home to the beatings. When Eric was born, he had a cleft lip and palate. He'd go, undergo two surgeries that weren't very successful, leaving him with a slight facial deformity and made him speak with a mumble. These would lead to him being bullied in school. This would also have Eric turn inwards, becoming shy and emotionally unstable. He was good at school, but at six he was ex expelled for stealing money of a teacher's purse. He attended several schools from then on, all of which he was bullied. Eric would be placed from time to time in orphanage or foster homes. Like his mother, he would hide under the house or roam the streets to avoid going home to the violence. Eric would visit hospitals a lot, particularly with head injuries. Stating he was accident prone, he was suspected to have brain damage due to these injuries. Later it's thought these injuries were linked to suicidal attempts. Eric also had bad headaches and was admitted to an asylum once and would have ongoing blackouts that didn't stop until after an operation in 1949. Eric left school at 14. He would get a job as a delivery boy to help out with his family. Many of his jobs ended him in hospital due to his accident proneness. He once worked at a factory but was hospitalized after being struck in the nose by a winch. At 16, he was a hammer boy in a blacksmith's. Here he suffered second degree burns to his face from steam. He also jarred his head and injured his thumb. At 17, Eric began taking part in petty crimes, vandalism and arson. He would serve a year and a half at jail for burning down a church after he was chucked out of the choir audition. Eric would continue his criminal adventures, breaking into homes and stealing stuff. These would escalate to damaging items in a rage. He was known to cut out newspaper articles of his crimes and take them on him to show people in an attempt to make friends. March 12, 1949, police finally nabbed Eric by finding evidence at his grandmother's home where he had been living. Eric's fin fingerprints would match those of open cases. May 24, 1949, he was sentenced to three years for arson and vandalism. He was convicted of two charges of stealing, 
seven breaking and entry, and four arson. From his clumsiness on these crimes and how easy he was caught, he would learn from these and be more careful next time. Hit in adulthood, he was described as short, slight man with dark wavy hair and a twisted mouth. At 21, he joined the army, but was discharged three months in because he never disclosed his juvenile criminal records. During the three months, he quickly rised to the Lance Corporal and was taught to handle firearms. November 14, 1953, Eric married Sarah Levin. They had seven children together. During the late 1950s, early 1960s, people in Australia would often leave their cars unlocked, even with the keys in the ignition. So Eric found it so easy to steal cars at night, sometimes returning them by morning. September 1955, Eric crashed a car and was caught getting treatment at hospital. He was sentenced to two years for unlawful use of a motor vehicle. He was released Christmas 1956. From this release, he started to wear gloves, women's gloves, while committing crimes to avoid leaving his fingerprints again. Eric's four-year killing spree involved what looked like to be unrelated hit-and-runs, stabbings, strangling, and shootings. Victims would be shot with different guns, stabbed with knives, scissors, and hit with cars and an axe. Several were killed in their own homes when they woke to find Eric robbing their homes. Two were shot while they were asleep, with their homes untouched, and one shot dead answering the door. Once he entered a home, stabbed the victim, drank some lemonade from the fridge, and then sat, sat outside in the veranda. Another he strangled with a cord of a bedside lamp. He then raped the deceased, disrobed them, took them into the neighbor's yard, sexually assaulted them, with a whiskey bottle and left the bottle cradled in the victim's arms. Eric's victims were Penny Berkman, Gillian McPherson Brewer, John Lindsay Sturkey, George Ormond Walsmy, Rosemary Anderson, Constance Lucy Madrill, and Shirley Martha McLeod. Brian Weir was another victim, but he died three years after being shot by Eric. Eric's crimes didn't share common links. Because of this, it wasn't connected to one individual at first. In fact, two of the murders he had committed had two others wrongfully convicted of it. These murders were Gillian McPherson Brewer and Rosemary Anderson. So with the crimes, police had 30,000 male fingerprints matching and 60,022 rifles to test. A rifle was found in a bush on Rockwood Street in August 1963. Ballistics tests proved it was used in the Shirley Martin McLeo murder. Police returned and tied a similar rifle, which was not working at the time. Tying the unoperational rifle to the bush with a fishing line and constructed a hide. They waited in hopes someone would come back for it. Eric was seen roaming about the area several times. He was finally apprehended when he tried to collect a weapon just after midnight on September 1st. Eric denied any involvement at first but cracked when Detective Max Baker snapped at him. He said, Cook, you're going to hang. You, you know there's no doubt about it. 
you got a wife and kids think of them and then think about whether you're going to be dragged to the gallows like a mongrel dog or you're going to go there like a man Eric began to confess to many, many crimes, including eight murders and 14 attempted. In his confessions, Eric was able to give incredible details and an exceptional memory of his crimes, regardless of how long ago they happened. He had the details as if they happened hours before. He was able to confess to 250 burglaries and give exact items he took and exact amount of money he stole from each location. At his trial, Eric pled not guilty by reason of insanity. At the trial, his lawyers claimed he was schizophrenic, but this was dismissed when the director of the state mental health service testified that Eric was sane. Eric was convicted of willful murder on November 28, 1963, after a three-day trial. He was sentenced to death by hanging. His lawyers were all set to appeal, but Eric apparently said not to apply as he deserved to pay for what he had done. 13 months later, at 8am on October 26, 1964, Eric was hung in Fremantle Prison. Just 10 minutes before his death, Eric swore in a Bible that he killed Gillian McPherson Brewer and Rosemary Anderson. Eric denied these previously because others were convicted for them. Eric Edgar Cook was the last person to be hanged in the state of Western Australia. So two people were falsely convicted for two of Eric's murders. Daryl Beamish was a deaf and mute and he was convicted December 1961 of murdering Gillian McPherson Brewer. She was an heiress in Melbourne who was struck with a hatchet and stabbed with scissors in 1959. Daryl was first sentenced to death but this was changed to imprisonment. Later, an investigation backed by Bert Christian, owner of the Post newspaper, led to Dara's conviction being overturned. John, John Button was wrongfully convicted for the death of his girlfriend, Rosemary Anderson. She died February 10, 1963. She spent the day before with John for his 19th birthday. During this, a small argument happened between the two and Rosemary left to walk home. John went after her in his car. He tried many times to give her a lift home, but she refused. He parked his car to light a cigarette. Once done, he drove after her again, but this time he found her lying in the street. John took her to a doctor and they called an ambulance. Police interviewed John for hours in a heated and intense situation. When he was told Rosemary died, he broke down and confessed to it being his fault. He was convicted of manslaughter. The court at first would dismiss the appeal, even with Eric's confession and details only the culprit would know. A retrial would be called for years. A campaign was published to recreate Rosemary's death. Crash tests with experts happened. The dummy was thrown up and over the car, as Eric had confessed to. An expert from the US was also able to prove it was Eric's car that hit Rosemary's, and not John's. Despite this and Eric's confession, Daryl served 15 years, while John got 10, serving 5. In 2002, the Court of Criminal Appeal quashed John's conviction. John's success opened the way for appeal for by Daryl, who was acquitted in 2005. In both, an appeal judge found the murders were more, most likely done by Eric. 
June 2, 2011, John was granted 425,000 Australian dollars ex grata payments by the Western Australian government. Thank you all for listening. Next time we'll be looking at John F. Kennedy, often called JFK. He was the 35th US President from 1961 until his assassination in 1963. He sparked idealism of a new generation. Charming, optimistic and level-headed. His short term made a difference to the world. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.